You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to We're Listening to Podcast, a community where all voices are heard. I'm your host, Rob Cook. Join me for a lighthearted show about the human experience with live conversations, discussions, and interviews of some of the newest to the most established 3P practitioners from all over the world. So no matter if you've known the three principles for years or you're new to Daily Insights, we hope each episode will inspire you to demonstrate a community where all voices are heard. Welcome to today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, with me today is Amy Chen Mills Nam. How are you doing, Amy? Good. How are you? I am super excited uh, to to be here with you. And you are the daughter of um, Roger Mills, who is very well known throughout the community and what he was able to do with projects like Modelo and other communities. But that's not all you're known for. Uh, You're a phenomenal writer, an author, a radio show host. Uh, you've been in the communities yourself. You've done programs. Kind of want to start like, what was life like being little Amy, having such a prominent father who was so big in, in social change and, and helping with mental health and well-being? Well, it depends on the age you're talking about. And I think I was about eight or nine when my father first started going up to Salt Spring Island. I was in elementary school. Um, and that, you know, there's, there's one thing I really like to share about that time for me, which was that my interest in Salt Spring Island had to do with St. Mary's Lake and swimming and digging for clams and running around, you know, Sid's yard where he had this sort of like wishing well thing going on. And initially the, his first property that I ever went to ran down to the ocean. So you could go be on the shoreline. And so most of the kids, the sons and daughters of the people who were listening to Sid were um, in our innate mental health. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just out playing as a kid. Yeah. yeah, well, they were in meeting with Sid. And Sid, I thought yeah. it was like, you know, how boring could that possibly be? <laughs> so, well, then let me ask this. <laughs> what age... Did you know what he was doing or there became an interest? 
maybe that'd be a better better i think we all knew we all knew something was going on because our parents were so affected so uh it was myself and also the daughters of george pransky for example and his first wife um and Barbara Lally, who was the daughter of Clyde T, who ended up marrying my father. And we all, you know, could feel that there was a power, there was something going on. You know, our parents were very affected by, yeah. it, you know, and we could see the changes. I could see my father go through changes. But what's interesting to me is the reality and the fact of our innate health. It's interesting to me that we weren't interested in listening to Sid at that time. And I know that kids come from different backgrounds that are harder and there's more stress and trauma. It's harder for them to be, um, you know, in well-being all the time. Like that's not always true for all kids. Yeah. Uh, But for those of us who, you know, weren't in trauma, that was the, you know, thinking back, I would just remember this beautiful feeling of being connected to life, being connected to the island, being connected to the river in Eugene, where I grew up, you know, just there's this connection that we already have. Yeah, so that's what's distinct for me about that time. Now, as my father went out into the world, you know, Sid eventually said, you know, everybody like get off the island. <laughs> time to go to work time to go to work yeah fly the coop empty the nest yeah um i knew my father was doing amazing things but i think as a teenager for me at least i had to go through my own process of being a teenager and Mm -hmm. exploring the world and there was a way that there was a sort of a culture sometimes around the principles where it was like everybody just hang out and sit on chairs and chat and drink coffee and tea. And like, as a teenager, I remember saying to my dad once, he was like, are you going to go out again? Why are you going to go out again? And I said, dad, like I'm 16. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> person like you. So, um, but of course it was all happening in, in the background, you know, my yeah. father was a single father. And so I was very, very close with him and, and tracking what he was doing um and a couple times i went to hear sid speak and a couple times i went to conferences but i really had my own dreams and i didn't feel like i could teach anyone about their mental health especially as i got into my teenage years and my 20s i picked up a lot of the insecurities that people do yeah yeah i just did and i had to go through a brief period of depression which i've written about and spoken about quite a bit and I had to, for myself, understand those principles, for myself, have the insights, you know, it, it can't, your parents actually can't, you know, implant them into your brain, you yeah. have to go through your own journey. And I've, I actually spoke about this once at a conference, and a lot of adult people in the, in the principles community, parents came up to me and thanked me because Mm-hmm. Some of them have kids who are wandering around, absolutely, in drug use and and all kinds of things. So, you know, Sid says life is a contact sport, and it is. And yeah. um, we're all going to go through our own thing. And so, finally, I, you know, went through a period of depression, which actually motivated me because I started having insights about thought, and not just from the three principles, but from reading Hugh Prather, you know, who is a Course of Miracles student and 
And I just started to see the patterns and how I could go this way or that way in my thinking. And, mm -hmm. and okay. what age group is this? What age time frame is this right now? This is in my 20s. 20s. Okay. All right. And I do remember once being very impacted, going to meet my father for lunch. He was doing a training in Palo Alto. Palo Alto. I went to the swimming pool of this hotel where he was having this training in Palo Alto. And I do remember walking up to a bunch of people who were sitting on like patio chairs there. Maybe it was at the pool. I think it was at the pool because I remember these patio chairs. And this feeling was so, um, it was so, it was, it was almost like you could touch the feeling of the people. Oh, very, break, uh, you know? yeah, like, tangible. Yeah. yeah, it was like I was walking yeah. into a wall of feeling, you know, yeah. people were in such a good space. And I remember thinking it was the first time I, I really, something touched me about that. Like, wow, there's something really powerful going on at these trainings, you know, with mm -hmm. my dad. but I didn't really get motivated until I had been through depression and I had, I became a journalist and I was on staff for a while. And then I went into freelance writing and I decided to write about depression. And I wrote a, a huge article about the roots of depression and the biochemical message that was coming out at the time around Prozac and the SSRI mm. medications where the media was saying, Hey, guess what? Your brain is broken and these drugs will fix it. And that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think that's the problem. And I was very concerned that people were getting the message that that uh, was the problem because the medications don't always work for everybody and they start to wear off and then they have to take new ones or they have to combine them or, you know, or anxiety starts to turn into depression or, you know, all kinds of things. So I am, I am not opposed to medication. You know, I think that every tool we have is a gift if it works for, for us as individuals. Mm -hmm. But the message that you are broken, that your brain chemistry is broken, was something I really wanted, I really yeah. pushed you with. So I wrote this article. I interviewed Bill Pettit. I interviewed Gordon Truckman, a psychiatrist in Hawaii, uh, who was working for the Hawaii Counseling and Education Center, and uh, my father and Mark Howard. And I started to see the logic, you know, because I was interviewing and really listening for the logic of what they were talking about and what they were talking about was thought. And also they were talking about how they themselves found mental health. So there was this humility and this um, very personal, you know, understanding of how they became healthy. Yeah. That really touched me and it fit with my own experience because it I started to have insights and then I had a very profound spiritual experience and then I just kept having insights that took me out of the depression. Yeah. Um so it so the logic sort of struck me and 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 also it was in alignment with my my own actual direct experience of life yeah that's a that's a beautiful story and a bunch of different ways to jump off of one is i do want to highlight i love how you articulated that just because your father was who he was didn't automatically make you have to be him or someone of that capacity i love how how you articulated that but two i love the search I love the search for truth that because given 
that you had already experienced the depression that you rather than stay in it, you came out hell bent on finding the truth. You know, <laughs> like I got to find the truth. And then when you found it, it seemed to have sparked something that, like you said, you went on to write about. How many books have you written now? What? Three. Dark Inside, which is a book for youth, which is available through Lone Pine Publishing. Uh, and also State of Mind in the Classroom, which is available through my website now. Um, because the publisher shut down. So I've got boxes of books. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> put it in the e-version now. Um E-version or Audible. That would be a good one. Audio would be good, yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. lot for me to do. I, I want to work on my father's book, Realizing Mental Health. You know, like I've got, I need like three Amy's to do everything. <laughs> We're going to find you some help because I would love for those to be all Audible. Yeah, yeah, we be really, really cool. Um, and um, anyway, so there aren't three Amy's, uh, but there's just this one. And you know that I have other concerns that seem absolutely which we could jump that's a, a segue uh to jump jump right into i remember hearing you speak once where i heard the clear delineation between an activist who still loves the world but is disrupting the norms and then somebody who's just creating chaos mm. but when you were talking about it i just kind of was like i like that if I had a voice that I, I wanted to bring and I wanted to share, I wanted to help, how would I do it in a way if I think that, you know, activism means I got to be out there swinging and fighting and burning shit up? Like, how could, what are the ways, Amy, as you've seen throughout the years, that I could just share my voice and help as an activist? Well, I like that you're seeing activism as um, a full range of activity. Um and activism traditionally has been defined as, uh, you know, going out and doing, I call it unpaid work, you know, um, in terms of trying to pressure organizations, governments, um, school districts, uh, multinational corporations, banks, you know, to do the right thing. And that usually means operating in a way that is outside the normal channels of our quote unquote democratic society because when you're seeing that the this is the um, government is pretty much in bed at least half of it with for instance in the case of climate crisis the fossil fuel industry then you understand they're not going to do anything and it's the same thing with apartheid and with civil rights and voting rights like when people are not going to do anything even in the face of huge tremendous suffering tremendous yeah. suffering uh for human beings it's like you start to see oh wait a second a lot of us out in the public have a better idea than what these government officials have like we have mm -hmm. you recognize that you're actually in a higher level of consciousness. Now that doesn't mean that every activist is in a high level of consciousness. That's not true, right? But activism is the only outlet for the people when the government is not responding. Now, one thing I like to talk about is 
there's a lot of criticism of activists, especially, I'm sorry, I've got the sun kind of coming down, doing the halo thing. Um, oh yeah, it's just, it just makes you look very angelic. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, as um, soon as you start talking about activism, you start looking like an angel. <laughs> the, the, the sun comes down. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking the, the rays of sun, if, you, if, you're, if you're only listening to this and not seeing it. There's some things that a lot of U.S. American people would agree on. For example, the Revolutionary War. Now I'm talking about white. <laughs> indigenous people might have a different view. Very different opinion of it, yeah. Different view. Then we've yeah. got to respect that. And that's what we're trying to do these days. Um, um, but the Civil War also, World War II, Mm -hmm. this was you've been in the army this is violence this is killing this is murder basically it's state sanctioned it's organized but it's murder and it's mayhem and there's a lot of collateral damage including civilians as you may know it's awful right but we we glorify it world war ii against the nazis we have so much you know, respect for these veterans. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. What I'm saying is that that's a huge, there's a huge disconnect between what we approve of in terms of war for a cause and then looking at activism, which, I mean, I'm a nonviolent activist. Okay, that's what I believe in because I think that violence is just, a, you know, for the most part will create uh, reaction, you know, that's negative and creates more violence and more yeah. hatred and more anger and all the things that we know. Uh, we I, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. And the, the, the particular training I had that kind of gave me that insight was a course called Dynamics to International Terrorism. Mm -hmm. And the professor who started teaching the course, it was like, um, it was like a seven or eight day course where you go through each country how their government is set up, what is the nasty details of their government, like, you know, the stuff we hide about them and this and that. And, and I remember this statement that the guy, uh, well, it was a story that he told. He was like, every terrorist is someone's freedom fighter. Right. And that's true for the people at the Capitol. I mean, uh, they saw themselves as fighting uh, for some cause because uh, they really believed the election uh, was stolen. I think a lot of them and some of them uh, were just Nazis and racists. Okay, let's yeah. be clear. So at any rate, my point being, why is there so much intense criticism of activism, but not war? Yeah. You know, whereas war people are actually getting killed and in terms of most forms of US activism so far, and there's been some some exceptions, yeah, yeah. been nonviolent activism and, and peaceful demonstrations and sometimes disruption. So it's interesting to me, but Again, well, I don't know if this is again, because we haven't spoken about it here. I've spoken about it on other webinars. Activism is about looking at the harm that's happening in relation to what is the harm of marching or disrupting? And will that strategically possibly change. stop yeah. the suffering that's happening? Where in the case of climate change, for example, which is one of my, my biggies along with social justice and anti-racist work, um, the destruction that is coming our way is beyond belief. You know, like people don't understand what sea, sea level rise means for not just our homes, but yeah. for huge areas of farmland that produce food for the global population. 
Uh, for seawater coming into freshwater aquifers, right? So we don't have fresh water anymore along the coast in our underground aquifers uh, as the sea as the seas rise. I mean, yeah. there is so much going on, and I I don't I'm kind of baffled by why people aren't more alarmed and active, and um, I'm not sure why. I think to some extent it might be overwhelm. It might be they don't understand the nature of what's happening, or or they think we. Have I'll, to I'll put a I'll put a pin there. I, I would, and the reason I would put a pin there is because that was partially one of the reasons I didn't pay attention to climate. Yeah. Because it was like I didn't understand enough about it, and then everybody was telling me whether Earth would end, and I was just trying to get through living at that moment. Yeah. So you telling me about hundreds of years from now just for me and the way i live my life being black in america was significantly more important to me to try to survive than worry about the earth 300 years from now kind of thing you know it was like it, actually you alluded to it at the beginning of this when you said as a kid you didn't have certain traumas that the other ones did yeah. so if i were to talk to my family yeah talking to them about climate control is so far over their head when i'm just trying to get my brother to take the guns out of his car and put him in the house right like it's it's just so far away from just me surviving day to day that it's hard to have a conversation about it. Now, given that I live in an environment now where I can leave my door open, you know, I'm running around with my dogs, I'm safe. I'm safe. Yeah. I there I'm I I I don't uh, matter of fact, one of the things me and Alvin laugh about is Alvin asked me once, How did I know I was successful? And I said, Easy. When I stopped having to count everything that was on the belt at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's how I knew I was successful. When I could put my groceries on the counter and I never had to stop to sub check totals or do that's what for me that's what success meant because again how how incremental things were and how devastating so to speak they were before I was given this blessing of seeing life from the inside out. So I think that has given me at least more compassion into right. having the conversations with people when they don't know uh, because it's like, man, it is so much. You're right. It it and is you know, a lot. When you're just trying to survive, I don't. Yeah. Expect, I don't expect people to be activists, and yeah. you know, when they're just trying to survive, and I don't expect people to be activists or even to look at the climate crisis when they're having a hard time just getting out of bed. You know, like yeah. Yeah. mental. Your mental health is the most important thing. It's the most important thing for me. Yeah. So when I'm getting, you know, when it's too much of like, okay, you know, what's going on with the climate crisis, it's not fun to look at at all. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you have children, right? So sometimes I just have to disconnect. You know, I, I love that. I love that. You have to, you have to, your mental health is the most important thing and your grounding and your level of consciousness. And I use that term loosely because I don't know if I really believe in levels like I used to, but for the sake of a mm -hmm. conversation, yeah. the deeper you, the deeper place that you come from, the more you have compassion for everyone, even though anger is appropriate to me sometimes, yeah, yeah. the more effective you're going to be anyway, right? Yeah. As an activist, as a communicator, as whatever you're doing, the yeah. less your ego is involved, the less people sense a personal agenda from you that you're that it's about you and not about the issue. So, so 
grounding is so important it's really very important and i, I love I mean, it and i have to remind myself okay it's time for ground it's time for you to just live your life mm. be yeah. with your kids you know yeah. go with your halloween costume or whatever go go with your husband for lunch um and enjoy life but i have to correct you around the 300 years 200 years 100 years that's not true that was true a while ago with before it accelerated yes <laughs> now we're looking at these out of control wildfires you know mm -hmm. massive floods and you know there's so much co2 in the atmosphere it, it's what's happening and i i feel like a broken record it's releasing feedback loops of heating and mm -hmm. You know that, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I understand it now. Yes. Like I said, I've, I've yes. Okay, now people understand. Okay, gotcha. So I don't know. I don't know what everyone should do about the climate crisis. I bow to wisdom and people need to find their wisdom about what to do. Yeah. What I have a, a problem with, I guess you could call it a problem or a, a bit of a, like I step away from it really is when it's not acknowledged as part of our external reality. When we are mental health educators and mm -hmm. we are supposed to be helping people with their resiliency, this is a huge issue for our young people. This is going to be an increasingly huge issue, just like coronavirus. I saw a lot about coronavirus, a lot. Let me help mm -hmm. you with your isolation and your stress and Climate is the same thing. It's an external, huge um, series of events that will be more and more disruptive. And at some point, the, the time we have to recover from one disaster before another disaster comes in mm -hmm. is going to get shorter, so short that we're just almost always on the run. On now. the run, yeah. So let's pray that there's still time and we are in a moment and i'm just going to say this in the united states where we have people in power <clears throat> who actually believe that there is a climate crisis yeah. and we have another party that doesn't and that to me is huge in terms of whether or not we're going to respond with humanity with reality with 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 the distribution of goods and services which will be needed with the care yeah the care for one another, which will be needed. So that's why I'm an activist, especially at this particular moment, moment in US yeah. history. And I love, I love so much how you're saying, you're, the way you're talking is first, I'm Amy, the spiritual being who's not broken, who right. just has an understanding of thought, who, who sees external experience. I'm an activist for the after, after that though. Yes. Not yes. not the activist first where I forget that I'm well, where I forget about humanity, where I forget to love even the person that I'm so-called acting activating or trying to educate in a sense. Uh, the whole community is listening. Okay. Well, yeah. uh -huh. the, I mean they've been listening the whole time, right? Okay, but great. this is this is the part where I really um I want you to kind of nail it down for me, you know, if, if, if they only heard this part of the show, you know, what would it be that you wanted them most to get from hearing you speak or this work or anything? It's totally up to you, but they're listening right now. Mm -hmm. 
I would say, don't be afraid of looking at anything, you know, inside yourself, in the world. Don't be afraid of looking because you, and this is what we've all been learning in the three principles community, cannot be broken or damaged. And that means that you can look and also you can trust your wisdom to follow behind that looking after the emotions dissipate after you you know go through all of that if you if you even do you may not um then wisdom is fully released to address any situation whether it's personal in your family life or in the world and so that's i think what i'm asking for is please look please look around racism, around sexism, around a lot of people want to say, oh, no, it's too, that seems messy and that, you know, but really just look and trust yourself. You don't have to subscribe to anyone's solution at all. Not mine, not being an activist, not any particular course of action whatsoever. But, but you, what I would say is follow your wisdom, and it sometimes it takes courage to do that. 